Good afternoon. It's Chicky Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. It is Friday, October 2nd, and I say this every month, but I cannot believe that it's already October. We have just a really special show for you today. Uh, One of my very, very dear friends and, and someone who in the very early days of this radio show helped me get launched. Rebel Brown, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure, Chickie. How are you today? And I know you are already awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am amazing. And before the show started, we, we talked about how it is so automatic for when someone asks how we are uh, to fine. say fine. And, fine. Yep. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm sure you know the neuroscience behind that because we're going to be talking about neuroscience today, which sounds like a very dry, boring topic. But I know that Rebel Brown is not capable of dry or boring. So. Well, if I was talking about pure neuroscience and, and which neuron fires at what point and where in the brain, I'd be bored to tears, too. So, so <laughs> that's why I don't do it that way. Right. So, Rebel, before we dive into your most recent book, which is called The Influential Leader, uh, let's talk about who you are and and how okay. you have evolved, because you are one of the most evolved women that I know. And oh, uh, I know we don't you. have time for your whole life story, but why don't you give us the nutshell about Rebel? Yeah, you know, I started out, well, I started out back in the old days selling mainframes, uh, against IBM and I was the only woman in the business at that point in time you know so I was one of the one of the ladies like you Chickie that kind of beat my head against that that glass ceiling and against a few other things Um, and you know I've been in high tech for over 25 years now and I started out selling and then I had a consulting business actually the consulting business is over 25 years now that I think about it darn and you know I've consulted with uh, everything from early stage startups to growth companies that we're looking to expand to a lot of turnaround work as in, you know, they're broken and how do we fix them or what do we do with them? Um, And I did that, you know, I've had a great ride doing that because it's been, I've had over 300 clients and there's pretty much nothing I haven't seen by this point in time. You know, I ran a business in Europe for a while, bringing European companies to the U.S., um, worked for a lot of great people along the way, worked for venture capital guys, worked for investment bankers, worked for boards of directors, um, you know, and it has been a ride. And then what we, in 2010, I wrote my first book, which was called Defy Gravity. And gravity was, I define gravity as the thing that keeps us stuck from growing our business because we all have been in a position where we get stuck and we realize that, man, it, we just can't see anything new in front of us. You know, we get stuck in what I now know is called the status quo bias. But that book was about, you know, was really about um, my experiences working with companies. And what I tell people is, it's you know, everybody always says it's the product or it's the sales force or it's the marketing or whatever. And in 99% of the case, the issue is not any of that. It's that we can't see the new opportunities around us because we're so stuck in the way we've always done it. And so I wrote Defy Gravity to share the the methods and methodologies and approaches that I've used to get around that way we've always done it and to get people to be able to think differently and see different opportunities. Then after I got through writing, you know, after I got that book out and published and I'm consulting, I'm, I'm, I'm still looking at myself going, I still don't understand why that happens. I know it happens, <laughs> right? I know it happens. I see it, and we all see it. You know, well, why do you do things that way? Well, because we've always done them this way. 
Um, but I got, I decided I really wanted to know why. And so, and I had some other things in my personal life that, you know, that were coming to, you know, coming to fruition that were some pretty hard hitting things that had impacts on my own, who I am, you know, what goes on with me, how did I get this way? And right, and how I you just, react to people. And how uh, I react to things, right? you know, how I react to things and what makes me who I am. And I just got, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. So I went back and I did a lot of different types of schooling around the human mind. And the human mind, not as it relates to, oh, you know, this neuron fires and this chemical cocktail gets released and here's what triggers in the brain, but more on the side of, okay, so when that chemical happens, what does that trigger behaviorally? How do we create our behaviors? How do we literally repetitively display the same behaviors, the same responses, the same reactions, the same patterns of beliefs, of decisions, all the way down to how we brush our teeth and put our makeup in the morning, right? How do we create those patterns? What are those patterns' effects on our lives and our businesses? And what I think is really cool is how can we consciously learn to change those unconscious patterns to be able to change the way we look at our reality and what literally comes into our reality. And what I learned blew me away, Chickie. And you've known me long enough to know that, you know, it takes a lot for me to go, whoa, right, because I've seen (laughs) a lot. And what I learned about our minds and how we actually, what makes us tick, blew me away because most, I would say 95% of what we're taught about our brains, you know, or what you and I were taught, is based on 100-year-old theory that we have now proven is wrong. Right, right. And right. I think it's interesting that you start out talking about understanding the human mind as an important leadership focus, right, that if you don't understand how the human mind works and how behavior results from it's, that, right, you right. can't understand this whole concept of what you call the modern survival mind. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where survival comes in? Because most of us, uh, at least on the surface, would never use that term survival, like unless you're listening to Glenn Beck and then we talk about whether we're going to buy the the food for, you know, 72 hours or or for three months, right? Right, right. So, So here, let's talk a little bit about how the mind actually works, right? And then we'll talk about how that survivor, how that the whole modern world is impacting who we are and what we think about and how we respond. Okay, great. So, in a really simple way, what I learned this is, and by the way, what I'm about to talk about just at the beginning here is what hooked me on doing this work. Um, so we've all been taught that we are these conscious being that ma- beings that make logical, rational decisions, right? I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. much you know we're conscious. The beasts are unconscious, and so therefore we're superior. Well, what I learned is that, in fact, our unconscious mind controls and is the master of our conscious mind, which totally inverts everything, right? Well, and it's a little scary. Well, it's a little scary, and you know what? The other, you know, so what I learned is that here's kind of how it works. We take in, so our senses, our sight, our sounds, our feelings, our hearing, et cetera, Take in 11 million bits of data a second. All right, that's a lot of data, right? So oh, 11 yeah. million bits comes into our comes into our unconscious mind from our senses every second. Now, by the way, a little interesting aside: in the early 90s, they estimated it was around two million. 
bits a second. And by the way, the difference is the modern thing called the Internet and information on demand and computers and cell phones and iPads and everything else, right? So now Mm -hmm. what we have is we have even more information coming in. But anyway, our unconscious mind uses different filters, and we'll talk about those in a minute. And the filters, so think of it as 11 million bits coming into a sorting facility, and those filters sort the data. And bottom line is out of that 11 million bits, we pick, our unconscious mind selects 127 bits. And that's what is given to our conscious mind as reality. Wow. Now, that is the equivalent. If you, had a, if you had toothpick boxes stacked a mile high, that's the equivalent to picking one of those toothpick boxes out of that pile, and that becomes your reality. That blew me away. That absolutely blew me away. Because what that tells me, A, is that in that 11 million bits, there are other realities because there's a lot of other data we could select. And by the way, this is why I talk a lot about quantum theory with this, because this matches exactly. I talk about our minds now. We are quantum computers, right? right? So we pick out that 127. And oh, by the way, our conscious mind actually only can process 57 to 58 bits a second. So it throws away another half or so of what we pick. Now, you know, what that with that, what that told me is that, A, if I understand what the filters are that trigger behavior, that trigger reality, that define reality, those filters, and I change those filters, number one, I can change what I'm, my unconscious mind is selecting. Or if I understand why it's selecting certain things, I as a leader can use that understanding to be able to make sure that what I say or what I want to have happen with an employee or the behavior I want to trigger is what enters the conscious mind, if I understand that. So that's the quest I kind of set out on was, okay, let's understand those filters. Now, those filters, there's a lot of different filters we use, but in a nutshell, we have filters that are called instincts, and that's like, for example, for fight or flight. We all know what fight or flight is. Somebody points a gun at your head, you have an adrenaline, you have a combination of three chemicals that triggers in your brain. It triggers fight or flight, and you either run, freeze, or fight whoever's got that gun, right? We all get that one. Well, there's a number of other instincts that are in there, like the herd instinct. We're actually driven by our brains to stay with the herd and agree with the herd. <laughs> really? All right. Oh, yeah. We have chemi- and by the way, it's the same chemical as the fight-or-flight chemical. So the chemical cocktail that triggers you to run like heck or freeze up when somebody's attacking you, when we, so, and by the way, this, this right here explains group dynamics. So as leaders, we've all seen, you know, we have a group of people and we're trying to get them to think out of the box, right? So we yes. throw an idea out that's totally different or somebody else comes from a very different position and throws an idea out and the group all hunkers up and, 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 you know, goes together and says no, right? And we've seen that. We've seen the group dynamics. We've seen a really strong leader in a group step a little bit off to the right and everybody follows to the right. Well, what happens? Here's what happens. If you – so this goes back to caveman wiring, by the way. So cavemen needed to be in a group to survive, right? A lone caveman or woman was not going to have a lot of, as much of a chance of survival as a group. So what happened is we, our brains created a stimulus 
that when we step away from the herd, the group, we are given the same chemicals that drives us to be in the fight or flight, and it's arranged in a way that it triggers us to go back to the group and agree with the group. <laughs> when we agree with the group, there's a different chemical that's released that is dopamine, which is the bliss chemical. So literally, we are when we try to step away and do something different or challenge the group, the threat chemicals released and we drive back to the group and as soon as we go back, we are bathed in happiness in our, from our brain. <laughs> so no wonder. Yeah, so you know what, Chicky, all those conversations we've had about why in the heck can't people change, that's one of the reasons because the group has to go because as a standalone, your brain is telling you every freaking second that you're saying, no, it's something different. Your brain is going, get back to the herd, get back to the herd, get back to the group, agree with the group because it's dangerous, it's dangerous, it's dangerous, and the longer you stay out there, the more chemical you'll get to drive you back to the herd, right? So instincts play a really powerful role in our behavior, right? So if something comes into the unconscious mind, if a piece of data comes into the unconscious mind and it bounces off an instinct, the instinctual trigger happens and it never even gets to the conscious mind. The instinctual trigger starts to happen and the chemicals are released. So that's one way. And if you understand those chemicals and the instincts, you can actually have ways that you can get around the triggers or supplant the triggers. So, for example, in a a group dynamic, if you're going to get people to think out of the box, have two or have a couple of people already set up to go together and create their a, a group by two people two people agreeing against the group, and then you as a leader agree with them. You now have a group of three, and that makes it safe for the rest of the group to start to think differently. Wow! Right? Does that make so sense? So all of those people, all of those work cultures that had that consensus type of decision making that drove you and I crazy because it took yeah. too long that was uh-huh. actually creating that safe environment. It was creating a safe environment. Absolutely. So so that's instincts. So now we have another set of triggers that I call preference programs. If you go into cognitive theory they'll talk about meta programs of you know there's there's different names for them. But basically what they are is they're a set of programs that we all have. Everybody has them. But they're defined on. We define our our place on a continuum of of what we could select as a preference. So, for example, we have a preference. There are a number of preference programs that drive whether or not we're motivated. All right. So we've all been taught the carrot or the stick, right? As leaders, you know, you either give them a cookie or you whack them. You know, you you do a threat. Right. Well, here's the thing. Here's what's interesting. And I know you've had this happen. Have you ever given somebody that, you know, you really need to step up or else we're going to have to find another solution? And right. they leave and it's like you never said anything to them. Like nothing changes, right? Right. You've, you've seen that, right? And you're sitting there going, don't they care? Are they frozen? What's going on? Did they not hear me? Well, here's what I learned. So people select different places on this continuum of motivation between being goal-oriented, which means they want, they want something, they want to move towards something, whether it's a goal, success, money, a cookie, whatever. And some people choose to be driven away from a threat. So the stick, the, the failure, the lack of success, whatever. But as a leader, if you try to use the stick approach, 
on someone who is motivated by as a goal person, that's how their brain's set up, they won't even hear the stick. It will go right through their mind and never it'll go right into the unconscious mind. It will hit that program and the unconscious mind will delete that piece of data and they don't even know it happened. <laughs> now, did that this just is amazing stuff. Yeah, isn't this amazing? Right? So so then there's a set of those preference programs. There's about, depending on which, you know, there's all these different different approaches that are all talking about the same thing. Some of them say there's 18, some say 22, some say 24. Somewhere in there is the truth, and I really don't care how many of them are. What I did was I went through in the book and picked the key programs for preference that impact leadership and the ability to get things done in an organization and with a team and with individuals. All right? So there's those preferences. Then we also, every single one of us creates our own set of experiential programs to filter our reality. Every one of us, which is why I now have a, a total belief there are not two human beings on this planet that are alike in the way they're wired in their brain. Not mm-hmm. two. Because what happens is, so before we're seven years old, everything that is said to us, everything that we experience our unconscious mind takes as factual, as truth, because we don't have what's known as a critical faculty until we're around seven or eight, which begins to tell us, no, that's not right, or yeah, that is. So here's what happens. And by the way, the next time you see somebody yelling at kids in a grocery store, you're going to have a whole different idea about it. Um, <laughs> so seriously, I have I, it just kills me now. So if I say to a child, so take my childhood, which you know a little bit about, my childhood was something like, if you're not perfect, we're going we're gonna to beat the crap out of you, right? Right. So my unconscious mind created a program that said, that drove me that I had to be perfect or there was a threat of death, right? So now what happens is I create that program. So now anything that comes in that says I might be good enough is deleted by my unconscious mind. And the only thing that I get that triggers on me is perfection, perfection, perfection. And every time I get a reward for being perfect, there's another program created that links into that initial one. Every time I get, get disciplined for not being perfect, there's another program that confirms that one. And that is how the things that we call gestalt, as in gestalt theory, right. that's how those gestalts are created. And think of a gestalt as a string of pearls. So an easier example is you can't you're uncoordinated, right? You're uncoordinated, or you're you know you're ditzy, right? You say that to a child, and their unconscious mind creates a program that says I'm uncoordinated. They will then filter reality and behaviors to make sure that the kid is uncoordinated, and it will create more and more programs that confirm that, and you will end up as an adult with an adult that's uncoordinated, simply because that's the way it was programmed in the unconscious mind. From the beginning. Right. And so that right. explains why someone who is thin, who was told when they were little that they were chubby or fat, can actually look right. in the mirror and see and somebody see fat. a fat body. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what they're seeing is exactly what they were programmed to see. And the unconscious minds, which, by the way, our unconscious minds are designed to serve us. So every time we focus on something, every time we focus on a belief, so I'll give you an example. We still, no matter how old we get, we create new programs. 
So, for example, if we have a failure or we have a tough time and we focus on the problem, focus on the problem. Have you ever noticed how you wake up in the morning and you're grumpy and you focus on what's bad and the day just gets worse and worse? <laughs> yes. That's your unconscious mind adjusting, adapting your reality to where your focus is. Because it thinks if you're focused on the negative that that's what you want. It doesn't know the difference between good, bad, right or wrong, you know, negative or positive. All it knows is what you're focused on is what it delivers. So let's take an executive in business. I go out and I try something innovative and new at a company and it fails dramatically, right? Mm -hmm. I now have a program that says that. So now I go to a new company and what I tried before would be perfect for that company, but guess what? I'm not going to do it because I already have a program that says I'll fail. And chances are I won't even see the opportunity to do exactly the same thing I did before that was unsuccessful that could now be successful because it's filtered out of the data that I see in my conscious mind. Mm. So, right, so now start thinking about, and you've done a lot of work, you've done a lot of consulting, right, and you've done a lot of leadership work. So now think about an organization with leaders where everybody has brought in the way they've been successful before and their approaches on what fails. And now you've got a team that's filtering based on their previous experiences. And you walk in as a consultant and you immediately look and say, wow, what if we did this, this, and this? And they go, well, we never even thought of that. And you're like, what, are they crazy? They're not crazy. <laughs> their unconscious mind filtered the data so they couldn't even see the opportunity because of their previous experiences. How funky, how wild is that, Jackie? Wow. And by the way, does that explain you some of your consulting experiences with teams? <clears throat> oh, completely, completely. Right? So what's really cool is that, okay, so let's just take the programs. And some of us know. I mean, you know, I know that I'm a perfectionist. I know, you know, there's things I know about myself, right? Because we're all, we're all adults, right? If you know, if you know, for example, let's say you know that you look in the you, that you are, let's say me, I know I'm a perfectionist, right? I can literally, any of us can literally rewire our mind. It's called an attention density. Whatever you focus on with enough attention for a concise enough period will begin to create another program that will counter the program you're working to change. So, for example, if instead one of the things I did with my perfection self was I focused on it's 80% is good enough, 80% is good enough, and I really held that and held that and held that, and guess what? Now I consciously get to 80%, and then I ask myself, okay, do I need the rest or can I just let it go? Because I changed the wiring. Right? Well, and, and knowing your past, <laughs> that is really, right. really powerful. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, let it go. You know, and again, we don't have time to go into all of that, but but uh, you know, perhaps we'll have have another discussion after this show, uh, you know, where we can talk about that because it's not trivial, uh, and and anybody who is a perfectionist in in any sense, um, you know, knows that it's not trivial. But it's even more trivial when when you did literally have the fear of death if you didn't if you weren't perfect. Right. Right. And it's and it and that's one of the reasons you know, Chicky, that I got into this because no matter how much work I did, I still had programs that were unconscious that triggered. And what I learned, one of the things I learned is I actually can I actually work with people now. Like I work with a lot of people who have trauma, and in about 
you know, I do a two-hour session with them, and then I do another two-hour session, and generally after two two-hour sessions, the trauma's gone because I actually learned how to go in and lift the gestalts out of the unconscious mind so that they're no longer there. And when we're done, people look at me again and again and say, oh, my God, it's been with me all my life, and it's gone. The scary voices <laughs> are gone, right? The scary voices, the repetitive voices, the quiet, you know, I have chorus. I used to tell people when I first did this work, I was lonely because I'd had so many voices in my head telling me all the bad things for so long. Right. And they're gone. So, you know, so here I, so, so, you know, I got into all of that. That's how our minds work, right? So now what I started thinking after I learned all this was, now, wait a minute, as a leader, if I understand how instincts impact my organization, right, for example, and we have instincts that are things like, do you know that we're literally programmed to believe we're right? <laughs> we're programmed to believe we're right. We well, yeah, because we are how wrong. awful would it be if every time we right. spoke we were wrong? <laughs> right. So, and this goes back, and, and here's, here's where it comes from. What caveman is going to go out and chase a woolly mammoth or whatever, or mastodon or, you know, tiger or whatever if they don't think they're going to win, if they think there's a chance they're going to die? So they are literally, there was a programming that came into each of us as an instinct that says, we are right. Now, I'll tell you a simple way, and this goes back to defy gravity too. I'll tell you a simple way to show yourself that you do it. Here's the simple question. When was the last time you went out to do research on an idea when you went out with the purpose of proving yourself wrong versus proving yourself right? <laughs> no, that's what so true. We, and it's also one of the reasons why I actually reject the whole notion of research. <laughs> because well, yeah, I, do, because you know what? I know instinctively that I'm right. Well, and you and I both know that we can. I can take – you give me a, uh, an assumption – and I can prove it right, and I can prove it wrong with data, because any great yes. anybody can do that, right? Yeah. But you know, so as a leader, you know that everybody's programmed to believe they're right, and all you do is start asking them to go prove themselves wrong to get a 360 degree view of something. That's going to start to change the behavior and change the results. But we all don't. Nobody does it, right? I was doing this. You'll remember I was suggesting this was one of my, you know. Shuffle the, shuffle the data, uh, go prove yourself wrong, look for everything that proves that what you believe is not true because in doing that you'll get better information. I was doing that back with Defy Gravity before I even knew how the brain worked because I knew it worked and I used it in organizations, and now I know why. Because instinctually we think we're right, so you have to, repro you have to fight that instinct by forcing an exercise to do the opposite. Right. Right? So there's all these instincts. Then there's all, and those are all in the book. Then there's the preference programs, which I really think are really interesting because, for you know, there's little things like the motivation, right, uh, like how we're motivated. But then there's things like, okay, here's a great example. We all have what some people call chunks, some people call buffers, whatever, but we all have a set buffer for how much information our unconscious mind takes in before it takes a, a pause to process it. And how you can tell what somebody's buffer size is by how they speak. Because the way we process internally is the same as we deliver information externally. So now, we have people who are paragraph buffers. I would be one of them, right? And you know me well enough. 
I, I will sit and I will speak in a paragraph and I can go really fast and I can dump a whole lot of information, right? Mm-hmm. Now take the person who we all know who is, well, what did you do this weekend? Nothing. Well, did you have fun? Yeah. Well, <laughs> did you do anything? Went out, right? And we all know that, right? The, the three-word buffer sizes, the sentence buffer sizes. If you start to listen to people around you, what you'll find, some people sp- speak in three or four words consistently. Right. Some use five. Some people will speak in a sentence. Some people will speak in a sentence and then add another sentence. And then there are people like me who just keep going and we're just paragraph speakers, right? Yes. Well, here's what happens. So if I'm a paragraph speaker and you're a sentence buffer, right, and I give you a full paragraph, what happens is after the end of your sentence, while I'm still speaking, your unconscious mind stops taking in data, processes it, and then comes back in line somewhere in the middle of the next sentence. And then does another sentence, so it gets part of the sentence you're just saying and part of the next one and then takes a break again to to buffer, right, and process. (laughs) And did I just explain why you can tell somebody something or a group of people and some of them get it and some of them don't? Or it gets convoluted? It gets convoluted and it's like, wow, how did they put those two things together? That's how it happens. Oh, and I just experienced that earlier today. I was walking through somebody or walking someone through my new business, but in order to put it in context, I had to talk about my old business. And I said, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's not what this is. You know, we still own it, but that's not what we're doing now. Right, but they were still stuck on the first one because they kept expecting what I was doing now to be that first thing. And it was like, right. I know I said, that's not what this is, but you're right, they were buffering. <laughs> they were buffering. And so what one of the tricks I teach leaders, and by the way, this is really great for salespeople too, so is the motivation, right? How to motivate somebody for a salesperson. And all you have to do to find out the motivation is ask them, well, so let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a job that's safe and secure or a job that gives you the opportunity to explore new things? If they say safe and secure, they're, they're, they're moving away from a threat. If they say opportunity and move, you know, the, the for, you know, opportunity and let you expand and, and explore, they're a goal-oriented person. Once you know that, you now know as a leader, a sales rep for your family and friends, if you want to motivate them, you have to use a carrot, not a stick. Now, on the buffering, on the buffering, if you listen to somebody speak just for a while, you'll find out how much information they deliver. And, you know, you and I are pretty fast thinkers and fast, you know, we deliver a lot of information. So with us, if somebody's doing a sentence at a time, we're sitting there going, would you please hurry up? Come on, come on, come on, get it out, <laughs> right? 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 Absolutely. I know, right? Right? So, but if you're... If you're a sentence person and somebody's doing paragraphs to you, they're going, my God, would you slow down? What the hell? You know, so what you do is listen to the other person, find out what their rate is, you know, what they, how much information they deliver, and when they take a breath, 
and simply match your communication to theirs. Right. So as a leader, if you have that three-word person versus that sentence person versus the paragraph person, you run it a paragraph with the paragraph person. You run sentence by sentence with the sentence person. And with the shorter one, you almost have to do it up to a sentence because, you know, unless you're really a three- or four-word person, but you need to repeat it a couple of times so they have a chance to get all of the data. Right. Now, if you think about a group of ten people and you're communicating the way you're wired, you're missing 70 to 80% of their pattern, of their buffers. And by the way, have you ever watched speakers on a platform and they'll say it all and then they'll back off to a sentence and then they'll repeat words? They're matching buffers in their audience. Interesting. And and how would you even know other than the fact that you know that an audience is made up of both kinds? So you have to be able to do that. You have to be able. And it took me, you know, I had, this is, it really helped me with speaking because I'm this big paragraph buffer and I would overwhelm a lot of people. And what I learned to do is say it in a paragraph, pick the key points and say them in a sentence, and then talk points, right? Right. And it works. It's amazing because you can see people light up in an audience and connect to you as you use the different styles. I can now. I can watch it. There's flows that happen in an audience that's really interesting. Right. So, you know, so, so the preference programs, there's a lot of those, and that's what I spent a lot of time with the influential leader talking about. You know, you had talked about there's a lot of different chapters. The, the chapters are only two to four pages because I wanted it to be a reference book for leaders. But what each chapter does is take a behavior or an, you know, an instinct, a preference program or a behavior, and break it down to what is the program in your mind, what's the leadership response to it, and then talk you through, okay, so how are we wired and what does this do? What does that mean the impact is on your business? Exactly. And what are the three to four things that you can do to get around this with mm-hmm. each of your employees or with your teams or your organization? Well, and I absolutely love that about this book, Rebel, because, and probably because I am that paragraph processor, I don't always have the patience to read a book cover to cover because often it's just too academic for me. Right, right. And which is one of the reasons why my favorite genre is the book that I just wrote, which is is that right. um, allegorical novel that weaves right. in business lessons through a story uh, because I my brain finds that a much more engaging method. But what you have done here is fascinating because you've taken all these different leadership focuses, and we're not going to make it through all of them today, but uh, I want to hone in on a couple of them because uh, one of the first ones that you dive into is stepping into responsibility. So if right. your leadership is – you, you, maybe you're stepping into a new responsibility or a new level of responsibility. You've been promoted or you've been moved across the country or, or across the company, or you've actually changed companies, and now you're have to, having to step into responsibility. So you recommend that they read chapters 9, 11, 12, 20, right. and 23 first. And those are, and you've already talked about some of these, leaving the herd behind because getting away from that that place where you follow the herd out of out, out of safety. Right. And the next one is be the cause, not the effect. And I'll let you come right. back to some of these, whatever whatever right. you want to talk about. Blame be gone. The why behind the what. 
and how we frame our decisions. So walk us right. just through why those five things uh, are what you need to step into responsibility. Right. So, so we already talked about the herd. So if you have a herd mentality going, people don't step up to individual responsibility because they're, ha- they're packing with the herd. And gosh knows we've all seen that, right? So the, the, in Chapter 9, we talk a little bit about how to trigger, how to get, create a safe environment for people to step away from that herd because you have to get people into a, into a frame of mind where as an individual they're thinking and they're, they're doing because that's how you instill responsibility. A group doesn't have, and we've all seen this, you know, we'll give a group responsibility, but what really happens? One person <laughs> drives it, right? Yes. So you've got to do that. Then be the cause, not enough. The effect is all about one of the things that we're, that literally our program, one of our programs is that we are programmed to find somebody to blame or find, put the, put the blame outside ourselves because we're okay, right? Yes. So... So, and we've all seen that, right? So one of the things that you need to do with, and and by the way, I'm not sure if this is a pure instinct or if it's part of our modern programming, but we've all seen it. What do we do? Do we drop into looking for the solution or do we, the first thing we do, go, well, I didn't do it. He did it, right? That's not a responsibility. That's, That's not a mindset for responsibility. So one of the things you do is you simply become, you start to teach people that you are at cause, you are not at the end of the effect. Because, you know, we all are in everything that happens in our lives, we're either on the cause side or we're the, on the effect side. The effect side is lack of responsibility, and the cause side is being responsible, whether it's your stuff or not, right? And as a leader, if we have everybody in our organization, everybody in our team in a mindset that says, I am the cause, right? I am responsible. I am the cause. I am not a victim of what somebody else did. I will make sure this happens. That totally changes the role of responsibility in the team and at the individual level, right? So mm-hmm. then, the, so and that kind of moves into the whole thing of blame, right? Because one of the programs we have is that we we blame external forces, right? It's mm-hmm. and, and by the way, this triggers into a lot of things. Oh well, you know, it's 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 it comes at as we can't. Okay, here's a perfect example. We can't change the United States because it's too big. For, what's going on is too big for us, right? That's a mental program, and that happens in business too. And when you have people in that mindset, it becomes really difficult to get them to to sit down and shift the focus from the failure to the success, right? Blame, blame, blame. It's not give up. Oh, well, I'll give you. And the perfect example is after, you know, in 2007, 2008, oh, we can't succeed. The market's all awful. The economy sucks, right? Well, then why did people succeed? You know, in every downturn, there are companies that come out and do huge amounts of growth in business. And the difference is whether they're focused on we can't, it's beyond our control, or whether they're focused on how we have the power to do that. And that chapter talks with leaders about how do you instill that power in the, in the group, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, there's all these different, different aspects that come into play. And what I did was I tried to take, you know, the most important programs, right, and put them into a way that lets people begin to 
let's leaders begin to apply them in different aspects of the problems we see as leaders, right? So I wrote the book. The book is divided into two, into three sections. One's about how our brains work, one's about instincts, and one's more mostly about preference programs. And then what I did was I said, okay, now let's do a reference sheet, which is the beginning of the book, that says if you have how to get people into responsibility, if you have you want to improve communications, if you want to drive positive focus, if you want to get people customer-driven, if you want to fuel innovation, here are the specific instincts and preference programs that you can use to begin to drive that in individuals and teams in your organization. And that's brilliant because if you think about, and let's just use the example of somebody who takes a new job in a new company and you're in a leadership role and you have got to get to know your team and get to know uh, their strengths, you could take any one of these. Like I'm looking at the actually the last one, which is matching people to their best jobs and hiring right. the best person for the right. job. Right, absolutely. You could use those, and I'm counting, I think it's eight chapters as as topics that you discuss in each one of your next eight staff meetings. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there, and then there's, and you know, one of the things around all of this too is there's, a, there's exercise, you know, in each chapter, A, I kept the chapter short, so it's like you can sit down and read a chapter in under five minutes. Right. But each chapter has, okay, so what are the recommended shifts? What are the things you can do? In some cases, there's exercises. In some cases, it's things you can do as a leader. You know, it, and it all turn, it's all designed to make it really simple for a leader to take advantage of it and to use it with their teams. You know, when I train on this, because I train leaders and I train teams using this, just like I train sales forces to use some of this with, with buyers, right? With, and not to manipulate them to get them to buy it, just to be sure they're communicating effectively, right? Because <laughs> exactly. if you can build a relationship and communicate effectively, that's 90% of sales in this day and age, Right. So, but one of the things I do is I, you know, I try to get people, I, I give give leaders and teams the chance to do some fun exercises because there are fun ways to discover this and fun ways to be able to say, wow, if I do this, look at the difference in what I see and what I experience and how I look at the world and how I look at my team and how right. we work together and communicate, right? Because too many, and you know, I've talked about that. We talked about this when we did, when we were, you know, when I was speaking for your group around Defy Gravity, et cetera. Too many people just sit down and follow the theory and don't actually take a look at the why behind it, right? We just, we're, we get into rote, repetitive ways of thinking and doing. And right. that's what causes problems in our teams. And what I learned, you know, when I learned about how our minds really work, so I started thinking about all the things that leaders are told to do to get people to do things, right? Or how they're taught to communicate or how they're taught to, you know, actually I can remember having somebody tell me you want everybody to team up because that way they all help each other. Couldn't be farther from the it couldn't be farther from what's really helpful, right? But you know we've all had these leadership theories taught into us, right? Right. And we need to change, and that's why I was, you know, this. I mean, this book isn't big. I mean, I've had people tell me they read it in an hour, right? Because you can skim it. But you know what? We all need to wake up that what we've been taught and the way we've always done it in this case doesn't is so wrong and so backwards about how we really need to manage and lead our people and in a world where turnover and recruiting and 
keeping people and getting productivity is one of our major challenges as leaders. Right. It's about time we learned how to actually understand how our people think and what drives their behavior. Well, and you know, it's so funny, Rebel. I think back, and and you may not even remember this, but uh, the way that we met was through our good friend Bob Berg, right? Right, who, right. Who wrote The Go-Giver. And we have been taught our whole lives that, you know, if you want success, you've got to take it. You know, you you got to go out and grab it, right? When actually the art of learning how to give more than you receive and give more in value than you take in, in payment, um, all of those things that were the concepts that were taught in The Go-Giver, um, really prove that, that, you know, we have been just beaten into a certain way of thinking. And, and you know, I mean, I even think just about my own faith, you know, and, and how we have been taught certain things about our faith. But, you know, if you even just look at the life of Jesus Christ, he was just a complete anomaly to the way everybody else was, was right. talking, you know, in his day. And he, he was the, the status quo buster of his time. I mean, you know, forgetting the religious side of things. I mean, he just looked at, you know, you just can't get to where you want to go if you keep behaving this old way. And so I love how you have taken, and, and it's actually the tagline of your book, using the technology of your mind. And, and we all love technology. Well, we love to hate right. it, some of us. But using the technology of your mind to create excellence in yourself and if you're responsible for you know, directly responsible for teams. But, you know, I think we, we have teams in our families, right? I, I am right. the Absolutely. team leader of team teenager. You know, I, I've got a 17-year-old and I've got a 15-year-old. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that the principles that you teach in this book are going to help me be a better mom, a better wife, a better, uh, you know, committee member at, you know, on the technology committee at school. And, you know, I mean, just all the things that I do in my life. So, Rebel, I am so, so glad that we could reconnect on this. And the first time too. you and I talked about this, I was just absolutely fascinated. Well, and I also, if if anybody's interested and they want to contact me, I also have an online survey that actually allows a leader to send it to their team, let their team, their team answers like, I think it's 10 multiple choice questions individually, and what you get back is a profile, anywhere from a 20 to 25 page profile on that person. And, and it's not just a profile, it's a, it, you know, it's a, how does all this work, what is this section test? What is this specific question test? What does it mean to a leader? How did they score? And therefore, what how, what what do you need to know? And how, oh, do, you that's how do you implement it? Rebel, can right? you can you share with us where they could find that? Yeah, you know what? It's at it's on it's on my website. Hang on, I have to find the link. Hang on one second. <laughs> okay. It's www. And now I have to go find it. Hang on, Vicky. Slash, and then there's a slash. Right. And then it's insights, I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S, dash employees. Fabulous. And for our Executive Girlfriends group members, I will be posting that on uh, the Facebook page so that you'll be able to uh, grab that. And, yeah, and Rebel, it is, and you know, yeah, mm -hmm. it is. A, it's designed to be a demo system, so it literally gives a report that lets you, that explains everything. 
what I do for clients is I actually build an assessment that's based on their specific needs in their organization um, for them to use. But this was designed so it doesn't have as much of the expert. It, it's a tutorial within the report, as you can imagine, Chicky. So if somebody gets on the site and takes it, hasn't talked to me, doesn't know anything about it, they can make use of the data and understand it. Great. Rebel, if people would like to get in touch with you to have you speak uh, at their event or if they're just interested in having you come consult with them, what's the best right. place? Is it just rebelbrown.com? It's rebelbrown.com, and my email is rebel at rebelbrown.com, which kind of makes it easy because there's not a lot of rebel browns. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's great. For social media, I have found it is really, really advantageous to be Chickie Fitzgerald, and that is my real name, so it works well. Yep, yeah. Well, terrific. Well, Rebel, thank you so, so much thank for you your so time much. today. And, thank you, you so know, much, Chickie. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, and again, the one that we've been talking. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, go ahead. I said, you're one of my best executive girlfriends, dear. Oh, I love that. I love that. I really miss seeing you. It's been it's been way, way too long. Yeah, it has. So the book that we were talking about today was The Influential Leader, Using the Technology of Your Mind to Create Excellence in Yourself and Your Teams. And our guest was Rebel Brown. You will also want uh, to go get her book, Defy Gravity, because it really helps you understand those things that are literally, not just figuratively, but literally holding you down in your business. For more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com or we have a both a public and a private Facebook group for our members. And we would love to have you there. We announce our shows every week and we're about to relaunch our, our new website, which will have kind of a TED-like look about it to where you can go back and sort through all of the different topics of the uh, over 400 shows that we have done in the last eight years. So I hope to see you there. Rebel, thank you so much again, and have just a super weekend. Thank you, Chickie. You too. All right. Terrific. All right. right. Bye-bye.